This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt on the Cloth. This was my sermon from Memorial Day weekend, also known as Ascension Day. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. And if you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 106. I ask, not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know you that have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. I think it's important that we talk about what a petitionary prayer is. See, part of the problem with it is it's a, it's a churchy word. You know, we say petition. Most of the time, we, we, we get legalistic with phrases like petitions. Most of the time, you probably have heard the phrase, I need you to sign this petition to make change. Most of the time, it's not always good. We're angry, so we want you to sign this petition. Sometimes it is for good. We want to see something good happen, so we need you to sign this petition so things can happen, right? Well, it's kind of like that in petitionary prayer. Again, another churchy word that we don't necessarily use all that often, but we should. We say things like we give all of our sins and our griefs to bear to God. You see, I think the part we forget is that you are a part of that process. In Jesus' moment, he is a part of this prayer. Jesus moves well beyond the immediate disciples to the impact they will, futuristically speaking, have on others just because the original disciples have borne witness to Jesus. The prayer stresses the ideal of unity and love within the community that in itself becomes the supreme witness to Jesus, now this is important, as the one sent from the Father. Now obviously the prayer appropriately closes with this past tense. 
I've revealed to them, Jesus says, and will keep on revealing to you. So the torch is then passed on from the Father to the Son through the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And guess what? On to you. I think it's important that we talk about this. That it's not something that we take lightly. I know you recognize that in our own worship services that when we get to the pastoral prayer, I always say, let's, let's prepare ourselves. Because I think the part that I've neglected to tell you is this. I expect something to change during that prayer. Not because I think it's uh, something that should be said or something the institutional church has, has given me, but it's something that I know that if I pray for it, God hears my prayers. And that Jesus is praying in such a way that he is, now this is important, that he is praying on our behalf. He gives us a model to pray on behalf of others. It's the ultimate servanthood to ask God with all of the love that Jesus has experienced through God being passed on to you to pray for others on their behalf. See, that pastoral prayer in the middle of the service, it's important. When we lift up the petitions of our hearts, we, we have to understand that prayer happens in different ways. This is not a genie-making experience. We are praying on behalf of others because Jesus prayed on behalf of us. And those petitionary prayers, when we ask for healing, for comfort, for peace, we expect them to be answered in the same way that Jesus expected that answer to be given at his prayer in the Gospel of John. Now many see in John chapter 7 this high priestly intercessions of Jesus. I mean, that's been the basic interpretation since the 16th century. Jesus, our great high priest, offers intercession on behalf of the apostles, and by extension, the church will come into existence through their testimony. It causes a little bit of disconnect, however, between the prayer and the preceding material, like the farewell meal and discourse. Jesus also in this prayer looks in everything in such a way as everything that the final hour of his existence embodies. His death, his resurrection, and ascension. In fact, the prayer embodies the totality of his previous three and a half years of ministry. Now in the earlier service, I spent a lot of time talking about the ascension, and which we're going to do right now. So get ready, buckle up. It's a weird passage of Scripture. I just can't even avoid it. It's one of those weird passages in Scripture that you know takes place, and it's really hard to describe. <laughs> I remember when I was in youth ministry, we would get to this part in the Scripture, and it would say, and then Jesus ascended into heaven. So for those of you that don't remember, uh, Jesus dies, right? He resurrects. And in the Gospel of John, in parts of the Gospel of Luke, 
Jesus then goes up into the heavens. Luke has this big, beautiful, flirt experience where there's a bright light. John talks about it as, as he's resurrected and he tells Peter, uh, please don't touch me. I have not fully ascended back to this earth, right? Before he ascends into heaven. There's this really interesting dialogue that takes place here. But have you ever tried to describe this to a kid? So, like in the Bible, we have moments in the Bible where people ascend into heaven. You've got Elijah on his fiery chariot up into the heavens. You've got Enoch who just disappears. Then you've got, uh, the, the, this got in my Sunday school class really deep, Moses. We know that he was buried at the foot of God. What does that mean? Well, he obviously was not here physically. He had to be someplace else. So there's this weird, Lazarus, you know, I mean, all these weird moments. And Jesus ascends into heaven with a bright light. So what is that supposed to mean? So you say this in front of a bunch of high school kids. And what do they do? So, Josh, is it kind of like the movie uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and there's a bright light that beams Jesus into the heavens? No, it's not like that. Well, it's a bright light. Right, I know. Well, what about E.T.? You know, uh, the aliens come into town and there's this bright light and they go into the heavens. And then, uh, of course, it just goes from there. Every single movie, comic book you can think of, everything that there's a bright light, what do we think of? Aliens. Every single time. And, and every time I think about that, I think of that guy from the History Channel that talks about the creation of the pyramids. He's like, it was aliens. And every time I hear that, when I start talking about the ascension, all I see is that guy. No, it was not aliens. But there was a bright light and he was gone. And it's hard to explain. The church tradition has continued to talk about this ascension experience. But it's not how he does it, it's why he does it that's so important. I want you to think about that for just a second. Why did he have to ascend? Why did he have to leave the earth? I mean, I want you to really think about this. If Jesus is praying on our behalf, that means that he is praying that everything that we have done all of our sins, all of our griefs, everything that is keeping us away from God, he's taking with him. Otherwise, the story doesn't make sense. If Jesus doesn't take those away from us and takes them away from the world, then that means that we're literally walking around in a swamp full of our sin, neck deep, looking out above the swamp, praying to God to pull us out of it. Instead, Jesus is saying, no, I'm taking that away from you. You do not need to worry about those things when you proclaim me as your Savior. That petitionary prayer, I do this on behalf of them. So what does this prayer mean to us? At the very least, we get to overhear Jesus' deep and intimate relationship with God. The language, while it's formalized, is, is permeated with in intimacy. It's not built around the, the basic relationship language. It's as if Jesus is close enough to God that he can literally lay his petitions and intercessions before the Father in confidence 
that he will be heard. I need you to hear that, church. Every day, every day, I spend from 8.30 to 8.45 in prayer. Now, I'm not telling you this to brag. This is me just saying that the only way that I know how to start my day is between 8.30 and 8.45. Whether I'm here in the sanctuary or I'm out in my truck somewhere around town, I am sitting that moment in prayer. Not for myself, but for other people. Because I have to start the day realizing that I am a servant of God through Jesus Christ first before I start praying for myself. Which takes another 45 minutes. Every single day, I pray. Do I do it perfectly? No. But I take it serious in the sense that if Jesus is our model, and he prays on our behalf, then it needs to be something that I do on behalf of those that are around me. And those that I haven't even yet met. Why do you say that, Josh? Well, it's literally in the scripture that we just got done reading. This is for those that are there with him, those that are going to come after him, and those that all came before him. And Jesus is so close that you can almost feel the love that they share together. It's the kind of language that we should have when we pray. I think sometimes, and, and I'm not a good model of this, because if I don't, I was talking to Jim Lightfoot about this before service, if I don't write down my prayers, it's going to be a weird day. It goes, it goes like my sermons, in a really big circle, and eventually I come back to the center. So I, I try, try to stay focused, you know, but at the end of the day, when I make these petitionary prayers, I'm doing them in such a way that is, is genuine and close to my heart as best as I possibly can. And sometimes other people have better words than I do. But you don't have to pray that way. This is the part I wish I'd said at the 815 service. We want to have a relationship with God that's so close. It's, it's as if you're speaking to your most favorite person in the whole wide world. It's as if you could tell them everything. I try to explain this to young couples when they start to get married or they start to get close to being in a relationship and they say, we want to get married. And I say, listen, I, I want you all to hear me say this from the bottom of my heart. You know, the, the, the trick, it's not really a trick, but there's a truth here. When you do get married or if you choose to get married, the thing that's most important is, is that it's that doulos a doulos, right? It's the slave to the person. That means that you have to be as comfortable with them that you can share all of the everything, your good days, your bad days, everything with that person. And every word that comes out of your mouth has to come from your heart. They have to be your best friend. And it doesn't always work. There are bad days that you don't want to talk to each other. But the goal is, at some point, some way, we'll be able to do that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. For me, that's the only way that I've been able to relate it. And God wants that relationship with you. 
So even if we don't have that relationship with human beings, God gave it to us in the form of Jesus Christ. So that you can have that type of meaningful, loving, non-judgmental voice speaking with and on your behalf. See, petitionary prayers are important. We get to see the intimacy between Jesus and God. Just imagine the intimacy that God craves from you. You are the followers of Jesus Christ. You have proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you get the honor and the privilege to pray on others' behalf. So your homework assignment. In the midst of this, as we understand that unity may be heard for us to achieve, but the glory of God is visible when we live in unity. And when we do, the death-defying life of God is expressed. So you may ask yourself in your homework assignment this week, is in what ways might you be experiencing disunity? The goal then becomes is to ask God to show you what actions you will need to take. And as you're asking for that moment, you carry within your mind a picture of Jesus on his hands and knees, praying from the depths of his entire being, praying on behalf of you for unity from them and for us and for those to come after. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.